Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this 12th of July, 2021. Uh, It happened yesterday. A kid's childhood dream was realized. Richard Branson uh, was the first private citizen to launch himself and five others into, quote unquote, space. Now, I think that's where we have to take a pause right there. Richard Branson is uh, a billionaire. He has been... um, Uh, desiring to be the first person of uh, this status to have his group of people engineer, build, and successfully uh, launch into, quote-unquote, space, a privately developed, privately owned, privately operated uh, rocket. All right, so Richard Branson, here's here's the headline, won the, quote, billionaire space race on Sunday, Lifting off above the earth to the point of weightlessness in his privately developed, privately financed Virgin Galactic rocket. Here are some of the quotes from uh, from Branson. It was a complete experience of a lifetime. Like most kids, I have dreamt of this moment and honestly, nothing could prepare you for the view from space. So I want to pause right there just for a moment and reflect on some of the things that he said. First of all, we dream big dreams. Why? What? What makes us dream such big dreams to imagine that we could, you know, escape gravity, escape the the pull of being here upon the earth? You know, what makes us dream beyond uh, the horizon and even beyond the heavens? Who sets eternity in the heart in the heart of man? Well, that would be God. Who drives our drive or who drives our desire to explore and invent and risk and see and to have God's view of things? Well, so Branson said nothing could prepare you from the, for the view from space, and I would like to um, challenge you to consider that you have God's view. You have a view that goes so far beyond man's potential view from space. You have available to you this day the very view of the Lord our God. We live on a planet that we call Earth, in something we call a solar system, in a galaxy we call the Milky Way, which, by the way, the Milky Way is so described because it's the way our galaxy appears from Earth, from our perspective, like a hazy band of light seen in the night sky that's formed from stars that we can't even individually distinguish from the naked human eye. The radius of this one galaxy in which we live, 52,850 light years. It includes something like, well, we don't really know, maybe between 100 billion and 400 billion stars, each of which, by the way, or of which, by the way, our sun our sun, S-U-N, is just one. And yet over this galaxy and every other, there is but one God. What is man? Oh, God, that you are mindful of him. Let me remind us of the words of Psalm 8 this morning. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. 
Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then maybe the most human of reactions to landing safely back on planet Earth after his very brief flight, only some 50 miles from the surface of the Earth. What did Richard Branson do? Well, as the crowd gathered on the tarmac, cheering the plane landing and the the crew disembarked, Branson, uh, 71 years old or nearly 71 years old, uh, threw his hands up in the air, uh, jogged down the tarmac for what? An emotional reunion with his wife, his children, and his grandchildren. So very human. All right. Uh, we have this morning a conversation with our friend Dave Brewing from Lion Share. He and I are going to talk about the seasons of life. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking again this morning with our friend Dave Burring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Well, it's great to have you. So I know that you teach through a course every year called A Leadership Journey. And as a part of that, you walk around in um, something that you call the seasons of life. And I thought that today it'd be fun for us to talk through those seasons of life. Could we do that? Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. So five seasons of life. I'm just going to let you um, walk us through them. Okay. So let me give credit where credit's due. So a man by the name of Uh, Bobby Clinton, who is out of Fuller Theological Seminary, years ago did 18 years worth of study on leaders and how God would develop leaders, because God develops leaders differently than the world does. And he began to observe some things. And one of the things that he observed was that when you live a span of, you know, 70, 75, 80 years, there's usually about five different seasons that you walk through. So let me give you the quick version here. So from think of think of a timeline, like from left to right, left is when you're born, you know, right is say end of life. So the first season of life is from birth to about 18 to 20 years of age. And and that is what he calls sovereign foundations. In other words, you and I didn't choose our last name, our eye color, our elementary school, all that stuff. There's just kind of this sovereign foundations of our life that God laid that actually when you get older, if you pay attention to it, you realize, wow, I see his hand there. And then when you're in your 20s and 30s, you know, today it's a lot of trying to to sprint, to go do something big. When the reality is in God's game plan, it's all about, no matter what you're doing, character development and getting glimpses of your calling, where he's really trying to build within you a solid character. So when he pushes bigger stuff through you later on, you have the character 
that can contain what he's doing. And in this same season of 20s and 30s, you tend to get glimpses of your calling, but it, it often feels like jello in your hands. It's like you have it in your hands. This is awesome. If I could just do this every day, and then as you squeeze it, it kind of goes away. And it's kind of the Lord's way of just getting you cues. Keep coming. I'm not done with building you yet, but, but you're seeing the things I want to call you to. Well, then let's skip to kind of that mid-30s, well into your 40s, and, and there's two things that God builds on that. One is called unique methodologies. In other words, you begin to recognize when I do these things with my gifts in this kind of setting, stuff happens. And you begin to recognize how God blesses that. And it's kind of the unique way that he uses you. And as you get into your early 40s for the first time, you have a clear sense of life purpose. That's great news when you're 21 and going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's like you're not supposed to yet. It's okay. And then when you hit, usually, Carmen, I'm seeing it these days because people are living a little bit older. It's usually mid-50s, even into early 60s, that people hit what Bobby Clinton calls your major role and convergence. So in other words, there's this role whether it has a title or not, it's not important, but there's this role that God is grooming you, developing you, training you, pouring into you to be able to fulfill. And then once you're in that role, you hit this stride where it's it's like if I could make it a math equation, I would say mature, tested character plus the seasoned mixing of your gifts where you understand how to use them plus God-given sphere of influence. And that that can go for 10 to 15 years, give or take, where God uses you in a tremendous way. And then right around 70, you know, none of these have locked in ages, but around 70, you hit what he calls afterglow, where it's you're letting go of the roles and titles you've maybe had so that you can spend more time investing back in, say, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So that's kind of a snapshot of what Bobby observed over 18 years. All right, so several questions come to mind as you're walking through these. So I'm going to revisit them for folks who might be uh, trying to take notes out there. Birth to 18 or 20, Sovereign Foundations. Um, Let's pause right there. And Dave, what if there's a person listening right now who says, well, I didn't get that because I didn't grow up in a family where um, my foundation was anything other than something I want to leave behind and forget and not revisit and certainly not reproduce. How do we get sovereign foundations if if we missed it when we were kids? Well, you know what? The reality is we haven't. And God is the Redeemer. And so, like, you think about somebody like the Apostle Paul, who's out there taking out Christians in his early days, and he realizes later that in the midst of all that, God used that for him to encounter Jesus. And so even when there are things, like I have lots of friends who through very difficult childhoods, later they found the Lord, and now what they're doing is saying, okay, because I walk through that, I can uniquely relate to somebody that Dave is just not able to because of my journey, because God's redeemed in their life. So when you think of sovereign foundations, God is the one, as we move into our um, adult years, is able to redeem those things and actually help us be able to use those to serve other people as he's brought wholeness into our own lives. Yeah, and that person, that individual can have a calling um, that touches people in places and in ways that I would not be able to. Like, this is the part of the conversation um, when we talk about honoring one another in these different 
um, ages and stages of life that I think is really, really important. Okay, let's talk about the group that um, is in the 20s and 30s, this character development, glimpses of calling stage of life. What if they're looking for a sage mentor? Like, how how do the people in the 20s and 30s age group, like, ask for the right kind of godly help? Yeah, and that's a it's one that often brings tears to my eyes because there's not enough people who get it, if I can say it that way, and realize, hey, that's part of who we're supposed to be passing things on. I, I have younger ones come to me and say, Dave, I've gone to four or five, six, seven people. And I'll just say, I'm not called to that. I, I don't do that kind of thing. And those of us that are older need to be able to step up and into those roles. It's really critical. See, when you're in your 20s and 30s, it's more about what God is building in you than what he's doing through you. Now, every time you obey the Lord, he's going to do great stuff through you. But it's paying attention to what he's building in you. And the world doesn't teach us that. But that's God's ways, how God does things. So when you're in your 20s and 30s, don't get discouraged when someone says no, and then the next one says no, and even the next one says no. Keep going. Look for somebody who has a godly heart, who has some experience in areas that you need help in, and maybe even some areas of expertise, and go to them. And you know what? Do it on their time schedule. Don't make them bend to yours. You just say, hey, look, what works best for you? And I will be there. And that that's the way I've seen a lot of 20s and 30s find those that are further along able to invest in them. All right, Dave, Buring and I are going to take a very brief break. We're talking about the seasons of life, and we'll be right back. My conversation with Dave, Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Um, Dave, uh, I, I have a 70-plus person in my life who feels more like a has-been than a mm. sage mentor. Can you just mm. speak into that? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of times because of the way our culture is oriented, we value youth, and we forget that the most experienced and seasoned people on the planet are those that are the oldest among us. And it's a really important thing for us to be able to recognize that. And and for that particular person, which, you know, there's a lot of those kind around that you described, Carmen, I just want to encourage them to pause and begin to pray and say, Lord, would you begin to bring into my life younger ones that I could begin to invest in and begin to pray that way. And the second thing is you've got to put yourself in situations i.e. Um, neighborhoods, um, church, church situations, where you're going to be able to rub shoulders with younger ones. And it means that we can't stay stuck in our ways. It means we have to be willing to relate well. And I find that if you, if you relate well to a 20-something or a 30-something, they'll buy you as much Starbucks as you can possibly suck down to be able to get input from you. So the, the, begin to pray realize that you have great qualities, great experiences, even jot some of those things down that you think you might be able to pour into somebody else. And then put yourself in a setting where you can begin to build relationship. Don't go looking for people to mentor. Go look for people 
that you can begin to build a relationship with. And over time, they will trust you and they will ask you for more. Yeah, I love that. Those are so helpful. Um, you talk about in uh, in this conversation about seasons of life and recognizing, you know, how God is working um, in each season and encouraging us to identify what season we're in. And then you talk about actually engaging with God in specific seasons. Can you can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So I think because oftentimes we can just get caught in, okay, here's my strengths or my gifts, whatever language we want to use, and we just go running with them. And we can get caught in the kind of the systems of how the world does this. And we, you know, trying to start climbing the ladder, which means we're trying to knock a few people off on our way up. And, and you know, and then when we hit that place that we think we really wanted, oftentimes there's a lack of fulfillment there. And we didn't realize that till we got there. But, but the reality is, is each of us have been made with a purpose. And that purpose has to do also with, with timing. Like, and I'm totally making this up, but, you know, what if you were born, those of you listening today, what if you were born for, you know, May 16th, 2028? And there's actually some event that happens in and around your life on that day that you were born for. And it's like, what if that's the case. Are we well prepared for that? Or are we again, just kind of chasing what everybody else is chasing? And I got to have more money and I got to have this title and I got to have this and that. Or are we saying, okay, God, you're building things in me. Help me to be patient. And what I have found is that when we, we cooperate with what God is doing in that season, it's a little bit easier to read his cues as he begins to open doors for us. Yeah. So I, um, I'm one of those people who wants to live completely prepared to say yes to whatever the next opportunity is that God brings my way. And sometimes that's just a divine appointment that only God could have set um, mm-hmm. on a particular day or with a particular individual. Um, it's also one of those things where, you know, people are like, oh, well, I could never just like pop up and deliver a teaching on a passage of scripture if the speaker didn't show up. And I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, like, your entire life in in God's word is preparation to stand up when the speaker doesn't show up. I mean, right? I mean, I, so I think that there's like a view of um, of opportunity that's a part of this as well. Yeah, no, that's right. And it's when when people ask me, Dave, how do how do you hear the voice of God? Well, you know, I still feel like a kindergartner, but I'll pass on what I've known and. Part of it for me is it's learning to listen in the place of prayer. It's learning to get your heart still, all that. But the second part of it relates more to what you're saying, Carmen, in that we have to watch. We have to watch. So there's an earpiece, so to speak, of listening, and there's an eyes piece of watching what God is doing around you. And, you know, and there'll be times that God will test us in it. And he'll just say, okay, are you going to trust me or are you going to go for the big grab here? And then there's other times where it's the opportunity that he's put there and he's wanting you to step into it. And a lot of it comes back to our relationship with God. It's, it's, he wants to walk with us through this. He wants to lead us and guide us. He desires to do that. He is our shepherd. He's our father. He wants to do these things. So when I find I'm, I'm in those situations too, Carmen, I go to prayer to say, okay, Lord, is this something you're asking me to step into or is this just my flesh wanting to grab it? Yeah, and that readiness and willingness to go where God is working 
and do what God is doing is a huge part of this. And, and yeah. the discernment piece that comes with maturity um, is such an important part of this as well. All right, Dave, in the couple of minutes we have left, talk with us about honoring one another in the various seasons of life. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important is recognizing how we need each other. You know, we often hear generational language. Like I hear sometimes older ones going, these young millennials and Gen Z, they just don't get it, blah, blah, blah. And then I hear some of the young ones saying, hey, it's your time to step step out of the forefront here and it's our time coming. And we have to realize we got to look at this thing differently. Um, there's a there's a, several passages in the Gospels when Jesus uses the word generation. It literally means that I'm I'm kind of contemporizing the meaning here, but it means a snapshot of everyone on the planet right now, right now. So in other words, it's not this 20 year or 40 year gap. It's like right now at this very moment that you're listening to this, we are a generation. And the way that I've liked to look at it is because God often uses family language, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have a grandfather, a, you know, a, a son, a, a, a grandson in the mix there. And I like to look at it like that. So just kind of go with me on this. So just think of Abraham's being those that are 60 plus. They have great experience and seasoned wisdom that they bring to the table like nobody else. Then you think of Isaac's who are in their 40s and 50s. They're running the race of life with understanding. They've been around long enough that they've learned. And then you've got the Jacob's. Think of those in their 30s and under who bring fresh perspective and passion. And when you look at this and you look at the kingdom of God, we need to realize it's like a, a big pot of stew. All of these things need to be stirred in together. It's not don't you shouldn't be a part or you shouldn't be or you don't know what you're doing. It's like we need to rely on each other. And that's where honor comes in. Romans 12, 10 says outdo one another in showing honor. We should honor those that are oldest amongst. They've lived this thing. We should honor those Isaacs that are running hard, and we should honor the fresh perspective and passion of the Jacobs. So I, I think that's a way that we can look at it that's healthy and biblical. Uh, it's just all so helpful. Um, that's Dave Burring from Lionshare. You can find what we talked about today at lionshare.org. You're looking for a course called A Leadership Journey, and in that you're looking for um, resources related to the five seasons of life <clears throat> Dave, as always, what a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much. Yep. Have a great day, Carmen. Thanks. You as well. We'll be right back. Speaking of harvest.org, um, we have a bumper crop of plums. So if anybody has any plum ideas, like other than just eating plums fresh off your tree, it's just, I mean, I don't want to make prunes, so don't suggest that. But like what else is out there? I mean, you can only make so much plum sauce and yeah, plum jelly, that doesn't sound good. Can you freeze plums and then you like use them later in smoothies? I need some input here. So if you have input on a bumper crop of plums, we also have a bumper crop of peaches, but I know what to do with those. And I am making apple chips furiously and fast in our dehydrator as our big apple crop is coming in. So it's um it's big harvest time at the uh, LaBerge farm. Uh, what are you up to? What are you harvesting this summer? What uh, tasty things is God providing through the goodness of the soil and the labor of your hands? Um, let me know. You can always text me at 877-933-2484 if you've got 
plum recipes, send them to me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Next up, we got Dr. Adam Carrington. We like to catch up with him on all things political. So I'm going to ask Adam to, well, let's talk a little bit more about um, President Biden's plan, really, you know, in terms of this like door-to-door outreach regarding the vaccine. I, come to find out, like, this has been an ongoing project, Um not by members officially of the government, but people that the government has enlisted in local communities to already be doing this. So it's an interesting, interesting story. All right. That's up next with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. That's a comforting promise for parents. But I know some moms and dads who want he will not turn from it part to happen immediately. Now's a really good time to work on your patience. When your child walks away from the values and beliefs you've instilled, it's painful. Journeys don't happen overnight, and God's leading your child on a path that may take the long way around. I hope you'll continue to hold to that promise, even when times are tough. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Well, Dr. Adam Carrington joins us again from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Our listeners are um, full of ideas this morning about uh, ways I might use my bumper crop of plums. That is uh, definitely out of my expertise area. <laughs> I, 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 what, what's the best idea you've gotten so far? Uh, I like this one the best. Uh, David says, so sorry, I'm plumb out of ideas. <laughs> All right. So we That's got people good. who are like suggesting, uh, Brenda has suggested, hey, there might be a winery near you that makes plum wine. You could actually just donate your plums, your extra plums to them so they don't go to waste. Jim and Simsbury thinks that I should just dehydrate them and make prunes, which I, you know what? I think this is a linguistic problem. Because how is it that the grape becomes the raisin? Like, right, that sounds like a positive word. And then the um, the date, like, right, dates, like that sounds like something yummy to eat. There's really no, not a whole lot of difference between a raisin, a date, and a prune, except for the name. Uh, that That is a good point. I've had some pretty bad dates, though, before I got married. So if oh, we're going to just, just play. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, plum syrup, plums with pork chops. People do have some ideas. Okay, Um, let's talk about door-to-door outreach regarding the vaccine. Now, let me just say that when I talked about this last week, I did not apparently make it um, sufficiently clear that I I think it's a bad idea. So um, how do you respond? The story has developed since we first heard about it. And actually, one of the developments is this has actually been going on as a part of the administration's plan but they haven't been using government employees. They have been enlisting faith leaders and other people to go door to door in their own communities. I, I was kind of surprised. 
Yes, and, and therefore that was one way of them at least backing off at least the perceived idea. And at least, uh, I'll say, uh, on, on the positive side, enlisting volunteers always means the volunteers can say no if they do believe it's getting too uh, in, intrusive, if it's getting too coercive, because the, the bigger, I think, worry is the idea that you're going to create a bureaucratic department with uh, uh, bureaucrats that have some force of law, if not in, in what they're literally doing, but what they're at least implying that can go door to door and, and exert coercive, either legal or at least peer pressure in, into doing these things. Uh, and people have rightly said, when you create a, something like that, an apparatus like that, um, well, actually, maybe a better thing is to quote Ronald Reagan, who said there's the closest we get to eternal life on Earth is a government program or a government bureaucracy, and it will look for other things to do. So I think, um, you know, I, I, I think some of the examples that were given of what this could be turned toward or used for may have been overwrought. But the, the broader worry that creating an apparatus like that would be concerning, I think is, is right. I think even the volunteer, even though I think it's not as bad, um, I think what you have to be careful about is the degree to which you try to make public opinion the equivalent of coercive government law by the way you enlist people to work kind of for the government. And so that's where I think that that could, in a backdoor way, be a similar thing. So again, I, I think whatever your views on the vaccine, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for the government to want people to, to be vaccinated and try to find more creative ways to do so. But I think you want to you want to be very careful when you create these kind of structures for what they could be used for in, in the next round, whatever that next round might be of government policy. Yeah, I find it really interesting that in this particular uh, on this on this front, the conversation about um, whether or not there is supposed to be a separation between church and state, the, it, it's just curious to me that the Biden administration absolutely sees it as totally appropriate to co-opt faith communities of all varieties to get the message out that they want out um, and to enlist faith communities and faith leaders to do things on behalf of the government. But if the reverse were asked for, they would not be willing. It's just a it's just a curious, interesting place of conversation, I think, for people of faith in the country today. Well, if I, yeah, if I could make a point on that, I think uh, what, what's interesting about that is we have to ask, you know, Christianity shows us, and, and you could go back to Augustine saying that our, our hearts lo are longing for God until we find him, but we end up ha creating our own dogma, our own religions, our own uh, points of, of what is what it means to be human. And I think this what, where the disconnect here is we, we have um, a kind of uh, even sometimes presumed, sometimes not even conscious materialism where we really, I think, assume in the way we live that our bodies and now is all we have and all there is. And we can make a religion out of that. We can make a religion out of our health, our bodies, not by the way that protecting your health as the temple of God is a bad thing in itself, but it can become a kind of idolatry. And I think that for some enlisting religious persons to do this makes sense because what better thing can you do than protect the one body you have? 
Uh, and I think it's some, and while again, not, not bad to protect your body, I think it can show to some degree a, a lack of knowledge of, of what it means to have a soul or at least an undervaluing of the soul to see that one way street, the way you argued and not, not, the, not the other way around. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right, Adam, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's pivot um, and let's talk a little bit about uh, Afghanistan. So that conversation up next with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. All right, the news out of Afghanistan is mostly bad. Um, I'm going to ask Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College to comment on uh, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and what is happening in the, um, well, what is happening right now in terms of uh, the Taliban's advance. Remind us of what our original aims were when we engaged in, uh, in the war in Afghanistan and the current reality. Right. Uh, and that means going back, what, 20 years uh, to, to, to try to almost to try to, to figure out what the to remember what the original aims were. Uh, the, I'll start actually with the, the, the more contemporary picture on the ground where you have about uh, between 25 and 3500 soldiers still left in Afghanistan. And the order by uh, President Biden is to have them all out by September 11th. And uh, we now have large amounts of contractors and other people that were civilians, but they're helping the Afghanistan uh, uh, government. They have mostly now been removed. And you have a, a surge that has been going on for a while of the Taliban where they're gaining territory on the ground. Uh, they uh, are, are not too far from threatening Kabul. Uh, so they're, they're uh, the, 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 the main city for, for Afghanistan. So it, it looks um, as if the, the, the Afghanistan government is in a, a, a tenuous position, uh, maybe not fraught yet, but uh, things are not looking good that you could end up 20, 21 years later having Afghanistan back in the hands of the Taliban. Uh, at the same time, reassessing, you know, what, part of part of uh, the president uh, ordering these troops out, and that's been, by the way, a rare point of agreement between himself and form, former President Trump on getting out of Afghanistan. Um, it seems going back, we had two aims, and I think reassessing those as this is happening is not a bad thing as we think about what our foreign policy should have been and maybe should be. One, I think the, the, the most uh, reachable goal was rooting out Osama bin Laden and trying to exact some justice for those who had helped and harbored the, uh, the hijackers of 9-11. Um, what it turned into, uh, and this is where Iraq came in as well, was the idea that how do we stop this from happening in the future? We need to bring liberal democracy to this part of the world. And I think the thing that Americans have had to reassess and saying this not long after the 4th of July maybe is a good way to think about it, is that uh, on one hand, we have the Declaration of Independence that says that inalienable rights 
government by consent of those being governed, the equality of human beings, that these are not American values. They are human uh, rights and human justice. At the same time, we, we, you know, that would might make us think, well, we could democratize the world. Uh, but we've seen in Afghanistan and Iraq that while those principles may be true, um, the habits of self-government, the conditions of freedom to get there are really, really hard because of the injustice and sin in the world. And I think we've had to reassess not, I think, the justice of uh, free government by consent, but its possibility when uh, in places where tyranny has reigned so long. And I think we've we've paid a price for maybe being more optimistic than we should have been, not about what human beings are, but but about getting closer to justice here on Earth. And I think as we watch uh, things play out in Afghanistan and 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 our hearts, I think, should go out to those who are who are suffering and going to suffer. We have to ask that bigger question of what's possible and whether we asked too much of human nature uh, in in what we've done the last twenty years. People have a uh, people have a history. The people of Afghanistan have a history. Um, the people of the United States of America have a history as well. Um, the conversation about history and who gets to tell it and how it's told dominates many conversations today. Uh, conversations about whether or not the the values that we hold dear, even sacred, um, those that you just articulated, let's say from the Declaration of Independence, um, those that are articulated in the Constitution of the United States of America. Um, let's talk about the strength of those. Um, versus those who today would say, you know, those are not legitimate, they're not normative, um, they ought not have any ongoing cultural, you know, enforcement, let's say. Um, And then let's get to the conversation about how it is that Christianity does offer something better and has a better way forward for us as a nation and as a culture and as a people. Right. And this gets to such the heart of the the conversation we're having, either consciously or unconsciously, in our own country, but in the world. And I think that it's it's amazing. It's interesting to watch a society lose confidence in itself, which is something I think we have had over the last 30 to 40 years. And the attempt to establish something else that would be a new source of confidence and pride, and one that I think has such a fundamental different view of human nature than what I articulated, one that seeks um, to, I think, have have an understanding of human biology, of human rights, of what our interaction should be with each other that's very, very different and one that I think, um, you know, there's that that at one point we thought was based in cultural relativism, uh, that anything goes. And we've actually found out that that's not the case. Uh, uh, the people that are the most morally publicly assertive are the people who are uh, wanting to tear down statues, wanting to uh, take out, uh, you know, uh, question the Declaration of Independence, question uh, the Christian and Christianity's heritage here in the United States and its efficacy today. And where I think that um, 
Christianity ju- does provide a way forward is that it, um, it, it really holds in balance the idea, to, two sets of ideas. One is that there is a truth and a justice and a good that's grounded in creation and redemption um, that God has provided, but that that redemption in its progressing toward the new heavens and new earth says that we can never be complacent in that creation. We have to be constantly working toward while we rest in that redemption, and that that can be such a force for change in the world, such as, you know, going back to William Wilberforce and slavery in England as as a kind of model. Um, on the other hand, I think it, it it also brings up the question of what do we uh, uh, the, the, the this question of uh, living in this world and living in the next, that we can balance uh, our role as human being and therefore recognizing the common humanity of all and knowing that we come, we, we live in a certain time and place and can love our country for what's good about it and try to preserve what's good about it and see the po- points in which Christianity has influenced and even directed it. And I think that kind of balance of what changes and what stays the same, of the end goal and the current goal, of nature versus history, I think uh, of patriotism versus uh, love of humanity, um, I think those are things that can that Christianity offers, obviously uh, underneath just redemption in Christ, that uh, is such should be such a breath of fresh air over top of the the alternatives that are fighting uh, uh, often at this point. Such excellent observations. Um, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, thank you so much. We love visiting with you, helping us to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day and larger conversations happening in the culture. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You guys are such a great source to have these conversations. There's too few of you, but thank you for, for, for you all doing what you do. Well, we appreciate your uh, collaboration. Appreciate it very much. All right, that's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him at Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. All right, I want to lift up uh, Psalm 19 to you today. Uh, If you haven't read it recently, uh, please do so. It begins this way. The heavens declare the glory of God in the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day, pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Um, The words you speak today are going to go to the ends of the world. And more importantly, they're going to be heard in heaven above. Uh, And so let us be people who are thoughtful about what we say and the words we speak into the world that God so loves, the words we speak about others and the words that we speak to others. Psalm 19, good reminder today of the power of words. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.